0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Kirkwood is not feeling well today. I told the early service that it just dawned on him he's having his fourth child and he's had a nervous breakdown, but uh, he's not well. He says he'll be here in the morning, which is good. Because I've got about 20 points I want to give you, and I'm not going to make it through all of those. For which some of y'all look like y'all, three ladies just pass out over here. Um, I'll give you the rest on the sermon recap in the morning. So, uh, be sure to turn in to that in the morning, and I'll give you the rest of what I can't get to this morning. Uh, Back on January 30th, 1953, um, Frankie Lane... I don't know if you remember that guy or not, Italian-American, had that velvety voice like Jerry Vale, and, you know, he recorded a song that became the most, um, it became the song that stayed at number one longer than any other song, I think, down to this time. Now, you're going to know it. You, You know the song. It's one of those syrupy little songs that has got a great tune and It has been sung in church. Now, I've never been able to figure out why anybody would sing this in church. I hope y'all didn't sing it a couple of years ago before I got here. But anyway, if you have, I've already said it now. Um, It's been sung in church, but it has nothing to do, in all honesty, with Christ, with the Lord. Listen to the song. Now, you know it. Here it is. It speaks to the postmodern mindset. I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. I believe for some somewhere in the darkest night, a, cl- a candle glows. I believe for everyone who goes astray, someone will come to show the way. I believe, I believe. Now, I want you to listen to what Frankie Lane said about that song after he recorded it. It accomplished an awful lot in its day because it said all the things that needed to be said in a prayer, yet it didn't use any of the holy words. Lord, God, him, his, thine, thou. It said it all, but now listen to what he says. And it changed the whole spectrum of faith songs. That song, as much as anything, and people's embracing of this idea Speaks more to me about the postmodern era than anything I know of. To me, that's a tremendous illustration. It's just, I believe. I believe. What do you believe? Well, I don't know. I just, I believe. And because I believe, everything's okay. That somewhere in the darkest night, a candle glows. Now, that'll change your life, won't it? Um, that, that for everybody who goes astray, somebody out there is going to find them, you know. I don't, I don't know who that somebody is has nothing to do with God, his word, with Christ, his redemption or salvation. Now, you'd have to go back to the period of modernism, which came about in basically the 17th century. Rene Descartes, who sat in his Dutch oven and came out of that Dutch oven with these words in Latin, cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. And the Enlightenment was on, which basically said that man through his human reason can attain uh, universal truth. He doesn't need the Word of God. He doesn't need God. He doesn't need a Savior. Uh, all he needs is his own mind. And so modernism was this concept that uh, reason was God and I can reason truth In my own mind. Well, about the 19th century, late 1800s, into the 1900s, that all shifts to what we call and know as postmodernism. Postmodernism comes and essentially says uh, there is no absolute truth. So we have thrown God, we've thrown the Word, we've thrown Jesus, all of that aside for our human reason, and our human reason led us to the place where we have said, There is no absolute truth. Now, we have shifted over the last number of decades. We have shifted into what's being called, it's called different things, but generally it's being called metamodernism. Metamodernism basically says you make up your own truth. You decide your own truth. What is true for you is true for you, and everybody can be different, and yet everybody is right. Now, 50 years ago, they would have said that's idiocy. Today, they say it's sophistication. It's chic. And I find that most Christians are too embarrassed to stand up and be called Christians for two reasons. Number one, they don't want to offend. They would rather offend God than offend their hunting and fishing buddies. They would rather offend anybody out there than offend God, than than offend uh, the society, the group that they're around. They don't mind offending God. I'm just going to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to be ashamed of the decision that I made for Jesus Christ. The other reason is they're terrified that if they stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody's going to say, tell us what you believe because most people in the church have no clue what they believe. They just believe. I believe. I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. I just believe. I just believe. Well, what do you believe? We are terrified for somebody to ask us that question because we don't really know what we believe. We just believe. Jude comes and in the opening verses, he comes to the major verb in this little short epistle and he says, Contend earnestly for the faith. Now, contend is the verb that is there. And he comes and he says, Contend earnestly, zealously, passionately. Let there be some energy, some excitement, some enthusiasm about your contending for the faith. Now, the word contend there is the Greek word agonizo. It's our word agonize. Agonize passionately for the faith is what he's saying. Now, I don't know. I I grew, well, I didn't grow up. My boys grew up wrestling. They loved to wrestle. They played football, but their passion was really wrestling. And uh, the youngest uh, son he finished second in the state of Texas in his weight division in wrestling one year, but both of them loved to wrestle. And so when it comes to this, this is a, an athletic term. Uh, Paul uses the term about boxing in uh, Romans. Uh, when you come to wrestling, uh, it, it, you take a stance, you grab a hold of your opponent, and you begin to agonizo, agonize. Uh, can I get him down? Can I flip him? Can I put him in a pen? Can I get, him, get a hold of him and get him down on the floor, you know, for three, for the count of three? Anyway. Uh, that's what you find in Olympic and college and high school wrestling. Same thing with boxing. They get in a stance and they're going to box. They're going to agonize. Same thing in football. You get down in a stance if you're on the line and you're going to agonize for four quarters against that guy that's opposite of you. You're going to constantly be pushing back and forth on each other. So the whole concept is this. It's to agonize, to contend You get in, we would say, I would tell you that to understand it for us would be to say to take a stand passionately for the faith that has been delivered once for all to the saints. You take a stand for the faith. Now, what is the faith? When we come to that, what do you mean by the faith? Well, it's a body of doctrine. It's a body of beliefs. That's what Jude is talking about here. It's what we know. It's what we've been taught. It's what uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, listen, you remember what your grandmother and your mother taught you from the word. Now, what word was he referring to? He was referring to the Old Testament. Now, we'll come to some of that in just a little bit. But I want you to understand that what he's saying here is this, contend passionately, agonize. Now, let me tell you something up front that I want you to get a hold of. When Jude tells us to contend for the faith, he is not saying, Christians, be contentious. Be mean, be unkind, be rude, slam somebody down. Beat them over the head with a Bible. Get a verse and just work them over with it. He is not in any way telling us that we are to be like the world. We are to take a stand. You can take a stand and you can do it in a way that is not contentious or ugly or mean or rude or snarky. All the things you see on social media Christians doing. We don't have to do that but we can take a stand. Now, that's what he's telling us here. And because we don't know, we'll take a stand for what? For the faith. Well, what is the faith? What are you talking about? Now, I'm going to take the next 25 minutes, and I'm going to walk you through about 12 points. What do we believe? That's why you need not only a Bible, a pen, and something to write on, because I'm going to give you 12 things this morning. Tomorrow morning, I'll give you the rest. And I want you to hear, what do we believe? And I'm going to have to read most of this, Because if I don't, I'm going to get off on a rabbit trail that I don't need to do. I'm going to do more teaching this morning than preaching. So what is it that we believe? Well, you can start in Genesis 1-1. We believe in the Creator God. In In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Nobody wants to talk much about that anymore. We believe that God created all of this. We are told that constantly throughout the Word of God. Uh, we are told over and over that it is God that creates. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. That's Hebrews eleven three. 3. Now listen, I'm going to give you scripture with every bit of this because I didn't make this stuff up. This is coming out of the word of God. I'm going to go now to John 1. I won't... I won't take the time to turn to all these passages, but John chapter 1, verse 3, listen to what is said there. All things came into being through him. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16, he comes and he says, for by him, this is Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul calls this, or we call this, Paul talks about it in Romans 1. That's where I'm going to go next if you want to go there. Romans chapter 1. We call this general revelation. Now listen to general revelation. Paul says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident Evident to them, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen. That's general revelation, right there. That means this: that man can look at creation. He can look at the sunrise. He can look at the sunset. He can look at. The, he can go down to the beach and watch the tide roll in. Uh, he can just um, look at the change of season and God's eternal power, His divine nature are clearly seen in nature itself, being understood through what has been made so that man is without excuse. No man, whether he's ever heard the gospel or not, will ever be able to stand before God and say, I did not know that there was a God. The word of God says, all you've got to do is look at creation and creation itself will tell you that there is a God. But you say that's not what we've been taught. No, it's not what you've been taught. Because listen to what Paul said. I'll read it again. Men, unrighteous men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Man will do anything to deny God and get away from his responsibility to God. Paul says right there, it is self evident. Now, who else talks about this being self evident? Who else? Listen to this. You'll you'll know who it is. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Did you hear the deist Thomas Jefferson talk about a creator? This is the same guy who took his penknife, went through the gospels, and cut out any reference to any miracle of Jesus Christ He cut it out. He believed that there was a God. He did not believe that Jesus was divine. And uh, yet here he is and he says, as a deist, I believe that these truths are... There are certain things that are self-evident. There is a creator and he has endowed man with certain unalienable rights. Rights that God has given to man that the government is trying hard to take away. You say you're being political. Well, I don't give a flip. Anyway, I'm just telling you, you know, you agree with me now or come back and apologize to me later, one or the other. We believe that God created all that there is. We do not believe that nothing suddenly appeared and blew up and everything came about. All this complexity that you see is the hand of a sovereign divine orderly God. You think about the air that you breathing. All of you are breathing right now. Just do it. You're breathing. You know what you breathe in? 77, 77% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and about 1% carbon and argon and some other little things. A little bit of monoxide in there, you know, because you drove up in cars today. Um, all of that. Now listen, that's held imperfect. That had not changed hardly. Not any bit, not just a little fraction here or there, but that's been basically the same for thousands of years. And you say, how does that come about? How is there a balance? It's because when you breathe out, you're breathing out dioxide, carbon dioxide, not monoxide, but carbon dioxide, and God created green things called plants and trees, And those green things, when the sun comes out, begins the process called photosynthesis. And in photosynthesis, those green plants and trees take in what we breathe out, carbon dioxide. And they give off from that oxygen. Jiminy Cricket. From your fingernail to your eyebrow, there is so great a complexity that there must be a divine mind behind it all. We believe in a creator, the creator God that we read about in chapter one of Genesis. Number two, God reveals himself. This is special creation. I'll never forget. I've told you this many times. uh, My junior year at Furman, I had to take classical Greek, eight o'clock in the morning, And uh, once I was finished with classical Greek, I began to take baby Greek. And one night, I was up at at, uh, midnight studying. That's why they call it baby Greek, because you sit up with it all night. Um, I was up after midnight, and I flipped over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I looked down, and for myself, I read in Greek, all Scripture is inspired, theonoustos, God breathed out. It is God-breathed all Scripture, not some Scripture, not part of Scripture. All Scripture Amen. is God-breathed. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. We believe, I believe, in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Plenary means fully inspired. Verbal, I think God spoke these words that we read right here. I think it was verbal. I believe every word is there for a purpose, for a reason. I even believe that the verb tense was breathed out by God. Jesus had scripture. What was his scripture? Old Testament. Jesus didn't have the New Testament. He had the Old Testament. Jesus had the Old Testament. You know what he says in John chapter 10 verse 35? And the scripture cannot be broken. Speaking of the Old Testament. Now, he had scripture, the Old Testament, and um, he said that it cannot be broken. And he comes and he says that every word of it, Jesus said, speaks of me. Do you remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus And in argument with him, Jesus looks at them and he says, you search the Old Testament, the Old Scripture, or the Scriptures, because in them you think you have eternal life? Jesus says, it is these that testify of me. The whole of the Old Testament is pointing to one thing. Hamashiach is going to come. The Messiah is on his way. That's why Jesus at the end in Luke chapter 24, uh, on the road to Emmaus with these two men, the resurrected Christ, and these men say, we don't understand why Jesus had to suffer and die. Listen to what uh, we are told there in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That's the Old Testament. That's a cliche. It's a way of saying that the whole of the Old Testament, he began to explain to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. If we're going to be faithful to Christ, and if we're going to be faithful to this church, we must hold a high view of the word of God. Number three, God is Trinity. Now, this is difficult, folks, and I'm going to tell you up front, well, I can't figure this out. Well, no, you can't figure it out. You've got a little human brain. Uh, if any one of you came up and could explain the Trinity, then he wouldn't be God. You can't explain God. That's an impossibility. God is Trinity. That is, God is three in one. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Three persons, all at the same time, one essence. You say, explain it. I can't. He's God. (laughs) He's mysterious. He is inexplicable. He is far greater than the mind can ever grasp. All three are divine, unchangeable, all loving, unified. Listen, the father does not shift over and become the son. The Son does not morph over and become the Holy Spirit. That's modalism. That's a heresy. That was taken care of in 325 at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, That didn't go. Tertullian stood up and debated and argued for that. Uh, That we don't believe. We're not modalists. We don't think God shifts from one thing to another. God didn't create this world because he was lonely. He didn't create this world because he was looking for somebody to love. There was perfect love, perfect harmony, perfect unity in the Trinity. God created us and all of humanity so that he could display his glory, so that he could show who he was, so that he could dispense his love onto something that would turn around and would worship him back. Do you know what you have if you say God is not Trinity? You have what is called Islam, where you have a God who does not care for man. He's indifferent to man. He has no personal relationship. Listen, let me tell you, a caliph would, or an imam would say that you are blaspheming uh, Allah if you say that he cares or has an interest in man. He is far beyond that. Uh, the imams tell us. Those who interpret uh, the Quran tell us that uh, He is distant. That's that's why there is the prayer constantly in Islam. Uh, Allah be merciful. We because He He's never been merciful. You never read Allah is love, but let me tell you here. You read God is love. He's not a personal God. He's not interested in man. He never made a plan of salvation. Muhammad never died for anybody. Buddha never died for anybody. Krishna never died for anybody. Kali never died. She made everybody die for her. Only in Christianity do you have a God that loves man so much that he comes and dies for mankind. And you say, does that not, do you not? Get a little fearful about praying? Not a bit in the world. Because there is forgiveness in my God, Jesus Christ. That if they will come to him, he will forgive them and save them, just like he has us. Number four, we believe in a personal devil. I can tell you I do. He hangs out around my house most of the time. Now, let me tell you something. Um, listen to me carefully. Grandkids were over at the house last night. Grandkids walk in the door. What comes on the TV? Star Wars. Um, Star Wars is a movie. There's no such thing as the yin and the yang. That's Zen Buddhism. There is no dark side to our God. There's no light side and a dark side to our God. In fact, listen to what the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, said. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. That is, you look up at the stars at night, and stars, we say they twinkle. They get brighter and then they recede. They get brighter and they recede. It looks as if they're twinkling up there. Well, let me tell you something our God doesn't do that. There is no moment when God is brighter than at any other moment. And He certainly does not recede into darkness. And He goes on to say here, there is no shifting of shadow. That is, there is no shadow. At night, the clouds can pass over the stars and completely obliterate it. Listen, evil doesn't even come close to passing over the brightness of our God. There is no good and bad side to our God. We have a God that is all good. And you say, well, how do you explain evil, the devil? (laughs) Uh, God made the possibility for evil, and then it became a reality. Uh, God gave uh, man a choice. God gave, evidently, Lucifer a choice. And Lucifer, you can go to Ezekiel chapter 38. You can go to Isaiah chapter 14. You can go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I can't go through all of that, or we'll be here for an hour and a half. And um, But you can go and look at those, and there was a created being called Lucifer, who uh, decided that he wanted the praise that was going to God. Pride gripped his heart, and because of that, he wanted to take all the praise that went to God. He wanted God's position. He wanted God's place. And because of that, he was thrown out of heaven. He failed. He went out of heaven. He is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. He is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. Uh, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John five 19. We're introduced to him as he walks into the garden, but then he's going to crawl out. Because as he walks into the garden, he comes deceptively, lying, questioning the word of God. And as he does that, Adam and Eve both buy into the lie and the deception, and they rebel against God, and they acquiesce to what the serpent is saying to them, and then God shows up. And when God shows up in that moment, God comes and he curses the serpent and he curses man and he curses the earth and all of the universe groans now for the day of creation. And you say, that is a tragic, terrible story. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 16. I love this verse. John chapter 16, Jesus answers that. And he comes and he says in chapter 16, verse 33, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the midst of this crazy world, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Job tells us in Job 3, verse 17, The wicked will cease their troubling, and the weary will be at rest. And all the saints of God in the ages will get at his feet and be blessed y'all need to learn a little gospel song every now and then that's old jesse dixon used to sing that the wicked will cease their troubling and the weary will be at rest and listen all the saints of the ages will gather and will sit at his feet and be blessed no matter what happens in this crazy world that's where i'm going right there that's where we're headed amen y'all good you okay all right Number five, we believe man is a sinner. Why do we believe that? Well, good Lord, go home and look at the news today. That's enough to convince you. But the Word of God says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. That's me. That's you. That's Billy Graham. That's D.L. Moody. That was Martin Luther. That was Balthazar Hubmeyer. That was John Calvin. All the way back to Peter, to James, to John. We're all sinners. We're all sinners, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we don't talk about sin. You don't ever mention sin anymore. Carl Menninger, you don't ever hear him in a Baptist sermon, the psychiatrist who started the, uh, the, uh, the Menninger Clinic up in Kansas City, he wrote a book in the 50s. In, get this, in the 50s he wrote this. Whatever happened to sin? Whatever happened to sin? That's the 50s it's gone away. You don't dare speak of sin anymore. Well, I'm here to tell you this. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. David was right in Psalm 51 5 when he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. He wasn't saying that his mother was involved in some kind of illicit relationship. What he was saying was this, I've inherited a sin nature. We all have, as as descendants of the first Adam, we all have a sin nature. Uh, But I've not just been born of Adam, I've been born again of the second Adam. And that's what makes the difference. Which leads me now to the nature of man. The nature of man is this. Man was created in the likeness and the image of God. I don't care who he is. I don't care if it is a five-minute-old fetus in a mother's womb. That is a child, a life, and it is created in the image in the likeness of God. Every black person, every white person, every red, yellow, and brown person, this is why we love, this is why Jesus said, love one another. It's why he said, love your enemies. Well, those people are my enemies. I can't help it. God said, Jesus said, love your enemies. Why? Because they are created in the image and the likeness of God. Everybody, every single human, you have to, you have to think through that from time to time. When you get upset with somebody, I have to stop and think, these are people who have been made in the image of God. The fact of the matter is our problem is, is that we have fallen flesh. I have fallen flesh. You have fallen flesh. We've been saved. What does Paul say in Romans chapter? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me from this body? This sinful body. Thanks be unto God. Thank the Lord for Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that's the nature of man. Number seven, we believe faith alone for salvation. Sola fide. Nothing but faith. It's not faith in the church. It's not faith in the preacher. It's not faith in the pope. It's not faith in the mass. It's not faith in the Lord's Supper. It's not faith in all the works and all the things that I've done in the church. It is, you are saved in one way, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And listen, by the way, there is one mediator between man and God. That is the man Jesus Christ. Nobody else can mediate your salvation. Only Jesus Christ, for by grace have you been saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Nobody can boast. Nobody can boast. Number eight, we believe the scriptures teach you must be born again. If you've got your Bibles, go with me back to John chapter 3 for just a moment. Because I want to read a little bit of that to you. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. This is Nick at night. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he says, Rabbi, now I want you to listen. He comes from the Pharisees. He's a Pharisee. He also is a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling political body of Israel. Now, this guy comes to Jesus by night because he doesn't want anybody to see that he's coming to Jesus. Uh, he, He wants to be a secret disciple. He comes and he says, we know. Do you see that? That's plural, we. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees. We know that you have come from God. Isn't that interesting now? You get insight into what these Pharisees were thinking. They know Jesus came from God. The fact of the matter is, we just don't want that kind of a Savior. Uh, We just don't want him uh, as our Savior because we've got a different idea of what a Savior should be. You have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus says, I don't understand that. I don't have a clue. And Jesus says, you mean to tell me you got a Ph.D. and you don't understand that? You're a ruler of Israel. You don't, you don't get this. You're a Pharisee. You spend your life in the Old Testament and you can't figure this out. And so Jesus comes down and he explains it to him in these terms. Chapter 3 verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now he goes to an Old Testament illustration that Nicodemus would be very familiar with and that was the bronze serpent on the pole, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of Man, who the Old Testament understood to be the Messiah, the Son of God, has to be lifted up. Crucified. So that, verse 15, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Now there you go right there. That's why he comes and he says, you must be born again. Listen to what John says, John chapter 1, just a page back, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We believe the scriptures teach us that you must be born again. Number nine, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me come back to that and tell you that's not a force. May the force be with you. That's Zen Buddhism. Um, The the force was impersonal. Uh, It was just something out there. Well, the Holy Spirit is a person. Listen to what Jesus says when you come to uh, John chapter 16. I want you to listen to what he says, how he speaks of the Holy Spirit. And he, chapter 16 of John, verse 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now look at that. When he comes there and he uses that, he speaks of the Holy Spirit. He says, he, it is a person. He is a person. He is not an it. He comes, he listens, he speaks, He guides. He leads. The Holy Spirit does three things, among other things. He calls us to salvation. If you're here and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is because the Holy Spirit drew you to Jesus. Not because of a preacher. Not because of a church. Not because of anything else. It's because of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of sin. That is, he sanctifies us. He convicts me when I sin, and uh, he gives us gifts to be used for God's glory. Every one of us that are saved, we have a gift that the Holy Spirit has given to us. He enables us to love one another. How in the world can we love each other and get along in this fellowship? We do it because of the Holy Spirit. And number three, he secures us. Do you know what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.30? That you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. If we had spiritual eyes, I could look at you and I could see a seal of the Holy Spirit on your life. You are sealed to the day of redemption. Number 10, we believe in the church, the ecclesia, that is the called out, the called together, the synagogue, the synagogue, the assembly of God's people. We believe in the church that this is exactly what God has called us to be a part of. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul writes and he says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That was the church at Thessalonica. They were people made up. That church was made up of people who had turned from idols to come to worship the true and the living God. The church exists in three forms. Now, I've got seven things I could tell you that the church does, just seven representative things, but let me give you that the church exists in three different forms. There's the local congregation. That's us. God desires that every believer be a part, an active member of a local congregation. There is is the universal church. We sang about it a moment ago when it spoke about the Holy Church in that song. I believe, we believe. Here are the things that we believe. We believe in the uh, the Holy Church. In the Apostles' Creed, it's called the Catholic Church. It's, It's Catholic with a small c because it is not the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic means universal the church universe, and you say, "Well, what what exactly does that mean? That means that right now somewhere in China in a jail cell where she has put real genuine uh, God-fearing believers as they are seated there in their cells gathered around a verse of scripture that they've all memorized, that is the church, and they are my brothers and my sisters even though I don't know them. You remember last week I shared with you I was walking across campus and, uh, you know, a, a, a guy from South Korea walked by. I'm assuming he was from South Korea. There's such a big group of South Koreans there. Then an African from Nigeria. Uh, there's so many from, from Nigeria and Kenya and South Africa that was there. So I assumed he was from Nigeria. And, uh, and another guy walked by who was Hispanic. And I thought to myself, here are three guys. They're not only saved, they know the same Jesus. Jesus died for them just like he did for me. And they're my brothers in Jesus Christ. I don't even know them. They're from different places in the world. But the fact of the matter is Jesus saved them. They're my brothers. And now they've been called to ministry. Amen. Amen. That's, what, uh, that's what that whole thing is telling us right there. We believe in the universal body. But number three, listen, we believe in the historical church. Folks, what I'm giving you is orthodoxy this morning. What I'm, what I'm giving you is what the church has believed for 2,000 years. I didn't sit down this week and say, hey, let me just come up with about 12, 20 things that I can just make up and impress everybody with. This is what the church has always believed. Uh, not, not, we didn't just come to this, you know, in the last five or six years. This is exactly what the church has believed for 2,000. You stand in line. You stand in line with a group of people who for 2,000 years have believed these things and clung to them tenaciously. We believe number 11 in missions. We believe the Great Commission still applies to us. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, discipling them, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. We believe that applies to us. That's why we don't, that's why we have in our budget huge chunk of money, and it's going to get bigger because we, there's nothing we need. Y'all all look pretty good to me. There's nothing we need here. Now, listen, we've got a few holes in the roof. We do have to patch that. And we've got to seal and stripe the parking lot. There's some stuff we've got to do like that around here. But the bulk of our money goes to take the gospel to somebody else. The bulk of our money goes there. And all this money that we're going to save on not paying for this cockamamie debt that we have is going to go to missions. Now, I have said that from the pulpit and said that from the pulpit and said that from the pulpit. Y'all help me make sure that's exactly what it does. Amen. We're going to give that to taking the gospel. Why? Because you and I don't need anything. We're pretty good right here. Let me just tell you, are pretty good right here. So you're, you're set. You, there's nothing you need. You got it all right there. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 applies to us you will receive power after the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth that's for us we are committed to missions in this church we have a missions conference that is coming up at the end of february first of march all of us need to be actively involved in that we can't all do everything but we can all do something let me give you the last thing I was waiting for an amen. (laughs) Number 12, we believe the gospel is the solution to man's problem. Let me tell you what's not the solution. Washington, D.C. It is not the solution. Uh, The economy is not the solution. Wall Street is not the solution. Finances is not the solution. Man, for the last 2,000 years, has been doing everything it can to solve issues. And this morning, listen... We have spent trillions of dollars on everything imaginable. We have tried every party that's out there, this party, that party, another party. We have tried everything possible out there. And do you know, you don't realize and most people don't understand that we sit precariously on a a very slippery slope. We don't know that Russia has not while we've been in here, invaded Ukraine. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's going to, that's going to be something. Brits are sending troops in there. Poland is sending armaments. The Balkans are sending jets. And the, and the Chinese are watching because if nothing is done, and that's exactly what I expect is going to happen, if nothing is done, the Chinese are going to take Taiwan. Now, you, you, you say, no, that's, that's fearful, and that gets all into that stuff. Listen, let me tell you, I'm going to sit at his feet and be blessed. That's where I'm headed. But I'm just telling you, man, presidents, premiers, prime ministers, that's not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer to Everything. He is your answer as well. Let me make it very personal to you this morning. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a great ethicist. He wasn't just a very moral man. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh who came, listen, to die for me, knowing that your sins were not paid for. Uh, by things like corruptible things like silver and gold, that redeemed you from your futile way of life, that was lived out before you by your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It took the blood of Jesus Christ to pay off your eternal debt. You've got one or two things, folks. The one thing is this. You can try it your way, live it your way, do it your way, and essentially say, I can handle my sin. I can deal with all of that. I don't need a Savior, and I don't need a God, and you can spend eternity in hell. Or you can come, and you can bury your pride at Calvary and say, the greatest need in my life is Jesus Christ. I've tried my way and tried my way and tried my way. Now listen, and it hasn't worked very well. Paul says this, Romans chapter 1 verse 16. "I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I wonder who here this morning is ashamed of the gospel? that we're ashamed for people to know that we're Christian. We're ashamed for people to know that we're followers of Jesus Christ. We're ashamed, we're embarrassed, I'm scared to death. Somebody's going to ask me a question. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is the power of God. It is the world's solution, and it is the only solution for your life. Let's stand and bow our heads. That is what Jude says you and I are to contend for. We're to contend for that, to take a stand for it. There's somebody, I am certain, in this service this morning that in your life you've never even come to Christ and confessed your sin and called out on Jesus Christ and said, Lord, forgive me. I receive your gift of grace and mercy. And forgiveness and love. Be Lord of my life. Be Lord of my eternity. Is that you this morning? Would you be able to say with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want to come and get that. I want to come and acknowledge that this is what I'm doing today. That I am coming to say, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life you're here this morning I'm going to invite you to come I'm going to be standing right here you come and tell me I'm coming to give my life to Jesus Christ I can't do it for you no one can do it for you that's something you must do yourself others of you listen you're here you're visiting you've been visiting and you wonder what does this church believe well I've just given you about as much as I can give you in one service as to what we believe that's what I preach that's what I believe that's who we are and I invite you come you you need the parameters of the Word of God around your life you need the guardrails of Jesus Christ around your life you need the guardrails of the Word of God around your life why not come this morning and say I'm coming to be a part of this fellowship young people here God's been calling you to ministry He's been speaking to your heart. There's no other way to explain it, and you don't know what decision to make. I encourage you, come and surrender to Jesus and his call on your life. Don't give your life to anything else but to Jesus Christ. He's the only one that will give you a fulfilling life. Father, in these moments, I have no idea, Lord, who your Spirit is speaking to. I pray He is speaking to all of us. And I pray that He is drawing and that we will see men and women and boys and girls make that decision to come and to trust you as Lord and Savior. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, God speaking to you, would you come? Right now, quickly, you come as Pierce plays. Christ calls. I'll wait for you. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.